If you've been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. Today's guest, Tyrone Shum. Tyrone is the host of a very popular podcast show called Property Investory, receiving over 2.6 million downloads, showing property investors the latest stories, strategies, and examples from Australia's most innovative property experts. On the video front, he is also the creator of two extremely popular YouTube channels, receiving over 1.8 million views and over 16,500 subscribers, showing vast experience with engaging viewers online. Tyrone Shum is an ambitious young entrepreneur, building his real estate investing business by learning from successful investors. He shares how he started his podcast to create connections. He uses his marketing background and experience on YouTube to create a high-level podcast experience with over a million downloads. Tyrone, thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to learning more about your story and, and the things that uh, successes and of course, maybe some of the failures just to share, you know, the, the challenges along the way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on today, Robert. Really, really pleasure to be on and excited to share. Absolutely. So I know that obviously you started in a regular career and regular workplace before shifting into entrepreneurship. Would you mind sharing a, a little bit about that that transition? And Sure, sure. Well, I'll be frank. I'm still in my full-time job or as a, as a contractor at um, a specific place in Sydney at the moment and I still have my side hustle but both of them you know, tie in really, really well because they actually complement each other in what I do. So um, how I got started I guess was I was actually just frustrated just driving to work one day and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and a lot of the podcasts I've been listening to were like property podcasts and you know, I, I was really, really keen and, and wanted to get back into property because at that point in time, I bumped into a friend who had also been working full time and he just recently just quit his job. This was going back a few years ago and he said to me, you know, um, I'm actually going to jump in and become a mortgage broker and also I've got a property portfolio which I've been building up as well. And I think it was about a few months later because I just thought, you know, that's great. And I said to him, thanks very much for sharing and we'll keep in contact and all that. A few months later, I was reading a magazine and I saw him on the front cover and I went, <laughs> he was not joking. <laughs> it was featured on a, a, a very well-known property magazine here in Australia. And he was just, you know, the, the title frame was Man on Mission. And by then, he had built up something like 12 or 15 properties in his portfolio. And it was really, really, you know, doing well. And it kind of just struck me and said, wow, you know, friend I know, you know, close friend, actually going on to actually build a portfolio and also having a, a full-time job and then moving out of it was just something that I just really, really wanted to do. And I was in the point of my life where I still had two young kids. Um, I couldn't just leave my job because we had a family to support. And it just struck me and thought, okay, I got to do something. One, to make a change to ensure that my family, you know, for the future is financially secure, but also at the same time, something that I could build that I don't have to work for someone for the rest of my life and I could build up in the side. And that's what happened. I started and essentially it was something I was passionate about, property, which is the topic that I went into. And then secondly, podcasting, which was something I was passionate about doing because I can tell you my face isn't fit for camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely better behind the camera. Um, and I, I thought podcasting is a way where I could actually learn and also speak to guests that I wanted to learn because at the same time, to be able to get into property, you have to actually one gain a lot of knowledge because a lot of people make a lot of mistakes in property. Even myself, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I think the challenge that I discovered when I first went into property was because I didn't have enough education, I went and bought a property which is all the way out in this regional town and say after about five years of purchasing it, it didn't rise in value. But you know, I got positive income from it. And I could have actually put the same amount of money into a property that was inside the city area within Sydney and made like 10 times more because of the value of the growth. So things like that really came back down to education because if I had actually spent maybe you know, a year learning and, and just gaining the knowledge and speaking to the right experts, then I would be in a different position to where I am now. And that's hindsight, you know, you look back at it. So the reason why I started the podcast was because 
I was actually listening to a lot of podcasts on the way to work and I was going, great. A lot of people are sharing a lot of knowledge, a lot of information that was very relevant to what I wanted to learn about in property. And there's a lot of how-to. But one thing that was missing was the story behind why these people invest into property and why they actually grew these portfolios into the size that they did. Like we had stories who people with multi-million dollar property portfolios, 20, 30 properties there, you know, generate a nice residual income and still, you know, having something that they could actually build up on the side and then living a great lifestyle or you know, spending more time with family, kids and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, great, you know, I know the how-to because I've been listening to all these podcasts, but the biggest message as I was saying was missing was the story. And I was hoping that someone would actually think of a podcast to create that and start sharing these stories. And, you know, I waited for about 12 months and that's where, you know, I procrastinated for 12 months. I didn't do anything. I just waited, waited. And I got to a point of frustration going, gosh, no one's going to do it. I might as well do it. And for selfish reasons, I wanted to speak to these experts anyway. <laughs> And that's kind of where it got started. And luckily, I had some contacts in the field of property investing where I first um, jumped into. And these were quite well-known experts around Australia. And I tapped on the shoulder and said, look, I'm creating a podcast. I would love to invite you onto the podcast and share your story. And, you know, just to pick your brain about certain things. And I was inspired by a few other podcasts that um, had some really interesting stories like Freakonomics or how I built this from the NPR podcast. And that's where the journey started and I didn't want to actually create the same like just do an interview and then post it out and you know hopefully people download. I actually wanted to create stories which meant that I would have to actually edit the whole interview, create a script behind it, put a narration behind it, turn it into a full story so that it's highly professionally edited to make it really interesting and engaging because a lot of times you know as much as I love hearing people's interviews and stories on podcasts, it's just a back and forth interview and there's no sort of like I guess background music or really an engagement in it and we, we wanted to change that and hence the reason why when we did that, it was a lot of hard work in the first couple of years but it's definitely paid itself off because now it's you know one of the number one property podcasts around Australia. We get over 70,000 downloads a month. It's just taken off so much and we get a lot of great engagement and people come back and say that we have one of the most engaging podcasts because it's different. It's not the same as where you just hop on and listen to an interview and people just chit chat and do all that. We actually make sure that the story is told and quite concise. So that's where it got started, and that's my side hustle. <laughs> nice. Well, I love that you just admit that you know it's selfish. I waited for somebody else to teach me or you know bring bring these people on to do their stories, and 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 they didn't do it. So now I had to do it. Um, <laughs> that that's terrific. Now. I I love that you're you know the, the selfish motivation right picking picking the brains of of these investors that have had some success um, and their willingness to to jump on um, obviously can give you you know a lot of traction if if you share audiences um, in those early days you know what what did, what kind of things did you do obviously besides interviewing some really good you know good people what what kind of things did you do to to get to start building an audience. Yeah, well, it, it, with any podcast or anything that you start with a new business, you have absolutely nothing. Like you've got no clients, you've got no listeners, you've got no followers and that was exactly me. You know, I started off with nothing. I, I was, I guess I was very fortunate because I had already some experience in podcasts. So the podcasting side of things, I knew what kind of questions to ask. I guess I was comfortable to a certain extent. I mean, don't get me wrong, I was still nervous to interview these people because I've never spoken to a lot of them before. They're people who I admire, who I inspired to be and they were known, very well known in the media. People knew who they were and it's like speaking to a Hollywood star <laughs> and, and, getting, and I was sitting behind the... Luckily, I wasn't on camera because then you would have seen you know, how nervous I was but <laughs> I was sort of locked inside a room and just focusing, listening and then just you know absorbing as much as I can and learning as much as I can. So... At that point when I first started, I remember I started back in, launched the first podcast back in May 2017 but it took me a good six months when the idea came to conception to actually do what I had to do. As I said, I waited 12 months so that was even before back in 2016, the idea came in and didn't do anything and by about end of 2016, I actually had formulated exactly how I wanted to do it, like a, a rough plan and I knew exactly the kind of guest I want to get on the podcast. And that's when I started doing all the interviews. And I remember it was pretty clearly around that December time in 2016, I just went and did all the interviews. 
and, and start capturing. And it took, as I mentioned, it took six months before we actually launched. And at that point in time, I had absolutely no you know, followership, no listeners and so forth. And all I had was these fantastic interviews that we had captured and, and created. So once I actually got that in place, I started actually publishing daily interviews just to try and get the traction. And honestly, no one really listened to it initially for the first few few weeks, even for the first few months. And you go, gosh, I put in all that hard work and you just don't see any results. But what happened was, and, and this is the power of leverage and tapping into other people's databases and because you get all these guests on, you get them to share them and, and slowly but gradually because I released a daily episode just to get the traction going was because when they start sharing, then you start to seeing all these subscribers coming to listen. And because it was not only beneficial for the guests because we're promoting them, but it was also beneficial for the audience too because the people who actually know these people would actually trust to know and like them and go back into listen to their podcast and then they start spreading the work. So it was a slow but steady organic growth. It's been so long since I've actually checked the numbers on how that grew, but it, it was a very slow growth. And, you know, For the first month, we were only like a few hundred downloads. And then as soon as we started getting more and more guests that we were knowing, specifically, you know, the younger guests that came onto the podcast who were like under 30s and they were like, you know, had 30 properties at that age. I'm like, <laughs> those kind of stories really, really resonated with people. And then that, that started to take traction. And slowly and gradually, month by month, we started to grow. And, you know, in order to do that, I think it's just building those relationships. And once you start building those relationships with your guests and starting to help them and share them and ask them to, you know, I guess, refer, I guess, listeners to your podcast, that's when things start to take off. And then after a while, you start to, I guess, say, name drop, you know, successful guests that you've had on an episode to other successful guests that you want to invite and the momentous keeps going. And it's all about consistency as well. Like, as I said, I was releasing a daily podcast, which meant that I had to actually get like a lot of guests on quite frequently <laughs> and to actually bring that actually value up there. Over time, um, we've basically cut it down because we've got so much content on our, our podcast now, especially with the amount of downloads. We really suddenly really one guest a day now. And, you know, sorry, another day, a week. I mean, one guest a week. So, you know, it's been a big drop from there. But in terms of actually the traffic, it still remained quite as high because we're still delivering a lot of value. And most people who usually come and listen as a first timer, they download the whole catalog and go through and there's, you know, a few hundred episodes there already for them to get started. But yeah, you know, upfront, Honestly, it was very, very a lot of hard work initially when you first start for no results. You just don't see anything happening. And you go, you question yourself whether or not what you're doing is right. But as long as you stay consistent, which is what I did, I always interviewed, you know, at least four or five guests a week just to be able to get the flow of thing. And I had at least three months ahead of schedule. Um, yeah, we we managed to do that. And and that's where the success really comes from. And a lot of people don't know that in the background because you just don't hear about this you only hear about the success but it does require a lot of hard work as i mentioned you know it's taken many many years to build up to where i am now right well you mentioned that that obviously you you want to increase the production level and so your production was pretty unique um what what was your niche what was your intention obviously you mentioned being selfish and wanting you wanting to learn but what is what is it that you wanted your audience to experience uh, the core and the mission that we've always said at Property Investory, which is my podcast there, is to be able to create inspirational and motivational stories, whether it be you know, property, property development, whatever it is. But the core for us is always been to create a story that inspires people to be motivated to take action some shape or form. Now, we're not the kind of podcast that will give you actionable tips. We're not talking about tactics and all that kind of stuff. That There's plenty of other podcasts out there across Australia that do that. And they even follow the market you know every day they've got some kind of market release news update blah 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 we're not that we're looking at creating stories that are evergreen long-lasting lifetime stories which people can share so if you, in 10 years time you come back to listen to the podcast those stories won't change because it is other people's history i guess their their life that they've shared with us and we create it in an inspirational way so rather than just interview them and find out what they do and all that stuff we actually take that story away and then edit it fully and put narrations behind it, put information, background music to make it exciting and interesting. And there's always themes behind it as well too when we actually produce these podcasts, which is why it comes out at a very, very high level. And you know, don't get me wrong, it's a lot of work because we have a full-time team of editors and writers helping us to create these scripts and stories. But 
and, and also a full-time team to be able to manage and edit these scripts as well to produce it into the podcast level that we have. So yeah, it, it's it requires a lot of effort in the back end. A lot of people don't see that. And what you get, you know, is a really, really good produced show. And it's like, um, I guess when you compare it to say like a TV series, TV series like Lost or, you know, famous shows that, that is so, so successful, there is a lot of work, a lot of planning that's involved to be able to produce maybe a 15-minute segment that they're producing out there or 45-minute segment. And it's no different to us is that we need to put in a lot of that to be able to produce the best we can. Hence the reason why so many listeners tune into our podcast on a daily day basis. That's so good. <clears throat> so you mentioned early like that you have a, a face for radio. Um, <laughs> but how did you develop confidence as a as a presenter host? Oh, <laughs> that's a really good question. I think it's practice and, and just getting comfortable. When I first started interviewing podcasts or interviewing guests for the podcast, even before doing it in, in the property space, I, I used to be doing it for the marketing space or the video space as well because I, I have a bit of a history in the video space as well and outsourcing space. Um, I just kept practicing. You know, Every time I got in front of a camera, I was nervous and I wasn't sure what to say and it, I developed scripts and, and basically frameworks to be able to follow. And I think for me to sort of calm my nerves down, as long as I know what I'm going to talk about, hence the reason why I like to actually before going to any interview and stuff, I like to find out what the topic will be, what, where, you know, where, which direction we want to go in. That gives me and calms my nerves down because I, I do get nervous in front of the camera. If I don't know what I want to talk about, I just ramble on <laughs> and you can tell my nerves. So yeah, for me, I, I, I am still nervous at times, especially when coming onto sort of the camera. But when I first initially started, it was a matter of just going, okay, look, I've got to book these interviews in. I know what my end goal is, you know, what I want to achieve and, and have a vision in place. And then from that vision, I turn into, okay, what are the specific actions I need to take? And for me, it was more about okay, how many interviews I need to book in per week or how many interviews I need to book in per month and then just committing to attending those. And even if I don't feel like it or if I'm scared or nervous or fearful, I still just rock up and just do it. And once you actually get into it, you get excited. Your energy level just goes up because when you're speaking to a successful entrepreneur or successful property investor, they will their energy will just flow off you and you just get straight into it. And that, that's how I've been able to overcome it. And I think... At the end of the day, if you just have the right mindset to go, okay, I'm just going to commit to the consistency, persist, and stick to a schedule, the success will eventually lead and it will come. Yeah, I, I think there's a real a real power in in you know Jim Rohn talks about the the five people that you that you hang around with the most, and mm. and vicariously through podcast interviews, you can start hanging around with these millionaires and and successful investors that that wouldn't normally be in your circle of friends and so I, I like that you mentioned you know absorbing their energy and 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 mindset and just their attitude helps elevate you um and so i think there's there's a a pretty high reward from from interviewing quality guests absolutely and i think the great thing is not only once you've sort of shared that because i've got such a large community they also, the listeners also start reaching out to you and you start to develop all these amazing relationships. And if it wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't have met some amazing investors who've come and become now longtime friends, but also investors in deals that we do together as well. So it's a win-win for everyone because I guess my intention behind the podcast initially was not only, as I mentioned, just my selfish reasons because I wanted to learn, but also to I get to share this knowledge with everyone else. And as I've always mentioned, my mission today is to share amazing stories that will help impact thousands and thousands of property investors all across Australia as well. And because that has been able to achieve a lot of that and we're still on a mission to grow that even more, a lot of people just reach out because they see that, okay, they can actually learn from this. They also want to be able to help others as well and give back in some shape or form. Just like, you know, add value to life as yes, you've spoken to me as well. Everyone's trying to do that as throughout the community. That's fantastic. So you mentioned video, you mentioned um, that, that you've done some video work. I know that uh, you also have a, a fairly large YouTube channel. Yes, I, I do. I'm very fortunate. Um, from memory, I, I've had over 1.5 or 2 million views from all the things I've done in the video space. Uh, I used to also run a video marketing business as well, which talks about how to actually use videos to be able to grow their businesses. A lot of 
uh, say medium-sized to large businesses approached us to be able to help them with their video marketing campaigns. So we assisted with that. Um, but I've moved on obviously from there and mostly focused on property. But a lot of the YouTube videos that we produce now is interviews you know, with our guests such as our property investors, you know, interviews with yourself or so. And we share that across our network and also across our subscribers. So yeah, it's YouTube's been a very, very good channel for us to be able to spread that. Obviously, a majority of our followers and listeners come through iTunes podcast, you know, on Apple and also Spotify um, because we're predominantly podcast focused, but we still have, you know, all these live interviews that we do as well. We try our best to share and, and I guess give people options of different mediums. You know, some people love video, some people love podcasts, just like myself. Some people like to read blogs or whatnot on the website. So, yeah, we just ensure we want to cater for all those mediums. <laughs> nice. So your your goal initially was obviously the learning, meeting these these other investors. Um, your your driver was your friend that, that you know showed up on the magazine cover and you know is has all these properties. Um, so what have the lessons done for you on the property investing side? Yeah. So interestingly enough, um, just to give you a bit of a background story behind where it got started, because I initially was wanting to go down that path of buying more property and building a large portfolio and then generate passive income due to I guess the, the environment in Australia and, and I guess the property prices in Australia it's making it more and more challenging to be able to just buy property and then hopefully get a good return and you know just just you know giving you sort of some stats and figures the average property price say for example in, in Sydney at the moment is anywhere between one and a half million dollars to two million dollars for just a house and it's been skyrocketing since COVID which is quite interesting because you don't expect I guess during a pandemic things would go up things have been supposedly going down but it's actually been the opposite effect so everything has been going up in terms of the property side of things and the kind of return you might be getting on these kind of properties just residential wise is probably anywhere between one and two percent which is absolutely abysmal you know it's tiny as and you think you know what's the point of buying such a high value property when you're getting that kind of return it's not going to you know sustain a, a lifestyle you're not going to get enough cash flow to even be positive and a lot of times it's negative the cash flow as well the only positive side about buying property say for example in sydney as an example is probably the the actual capital growth but that's like a pray and hope strategy because you have to wait anywhere up to five to ten years to see that kind of growth don't get me wrong there is lots of capital growth and i've got properties in australia and sydney as well that have given me great capital growth which i can extract that capital and reinvest again so that's great for that but you know i've had to wait 10 years for my property to increase in that kind of value and, and it kind of made me rethink about looking into the alternative space as we call it alternative property investment or property development space because just saying, you know, just shared with you just now, even if you went up to say, for example, Queensland to buy a property to return you maybe say a 5% return, that 5% return is not going to be enough to live off, you know, on the property investments. Most people need at least between 100 to 200,000 to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle in Australia. So it kind of drove me down a different path because I was looking for something that could replace my full-time income so that way I could actually have some form of passive income to give me time and freedom to do other things and that's where it delved me into say property development and going back in 2019 I jumped into my first property development around about April 2019 the story gets even better we we purchased with a developer and also an investor a, a one into two lot subdivision so basically a one house on a large block of land and we can actually basically subdivide it into two simple not hard and it should have been simple to do after about nine to 12 months now we were successful in renovating the house at the front and we we're successful in actually dividing the house or the block of land in the back and we we're going to put it on the market now 12 months later we went onto the market and we put it on there and interestingly enough 12 months later was april 2020 <laughs> guess what happened the world shut down <laughs> Exactly. And that, that threw everything into chaos and mayhem and people just didn't know what to do. And that's what happened in the property market. People just literally shut down and just didn't know what to do. The market went quiet and property was just sitting on there because people were just uncertain. So um, unfortunately, at that point in time, no one bought the property that we put on the market. No one even made offers and we literally didn't couldn't do anything with that. So we, we were supposed to have made a, a nice profit out of that deal. 
Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And 12 months later, we ended up selling it and we sold that property, um, paying back the investor, which invested and he got his return back. But we as developers didn't make any money at all. So that project went from 12 months to 24 months and no money at all. And it kind of just got me started on this journey going, okay, wow, you know, property development isn't as all as it seems, you know, to be able to make a lot of income from it or a lot of profit. But luckily, what happened at the same time, because I wasn't involved in one deal, I was actually spreading my eggs across different baskets just to ensure that, you know, I buffer things like that that happen. And, you know, luckily I did. And around that end of, say, 2019, I jumped into another deal, which was a one into four lot subdivision down in Victoria. And that was very interesting because that particular deal was simple. I didn't actually have to be involved in the deal of having to renovate, you know, go to council, do all that kind of paperwork. I just basically was asked to put some money in and, you know, it's a couple hundred thousand dollars. And he said, look, it'll be a simple 20% return and you get that after 12 months. And I said, great, I don't have to do any work. I'll just put my money in and let it be passive and just wait. Interestingly enough, he came back to me, the, the developer, and said to me in April 2020, same thing as COVID. And he said to me, look, Tyrone, I actually got another developer who wants to buy us it out, you know, pay out everything. And I'm happy to, to pay you out your money now at the same rate that I've agreed to you for instead of the 12 months, I'll pay you now within that six months. I said, great, give it to me now. I want that money because it's COVID. <laughs> Something happened in the pandemic and um, yeah, it all actually went down really well. I got my money back, my, my full investment plus 20% return on that. And it was like, wow, that was actually really passive and I was still in the property space, property deal. And it kind of made me think, if I could do that passively without having to actually be involved in doing the work or buy more property and stuff like that, why not do that? And that's what's happened. I've gone to more than about six or seven of these type of deals where it generates on average between 20 to 30% per annum returns on the deals that I've invested in. And that's starting to become like a, a nice passive income, uh, I guess, stream of income that's coming into me, allowing me to build up the capital that I need to be able to you know, sustain my family's lifestyle and so forth. And that's kind of where it's, taking me down that path rather than just buying like 20 or 30 properties, I could invest myself into say three or four or even five of these type of deals and get a much higher return than say maybe one or 2% of buying a property, getting between 20 and 30% per annum. And it's a nice way to be able to build up capital quickly, but also to potentially sustain a lifestyle. And a lot of people and a lot of investors have also been involved in these type of deals. People who have a retirement fund that they can actually tap into because they're looking for some kind of return rather than let it sit in like, you know, institutional funds. You know, there are people who have actually had a lot of capital that were grown in their properties that just extract that capital, reinvest into these type of deals, getting those kind of returns. So yeah, it's been a, a very, very different way to look at how it's what we call alternative property investing or property development strategies. And that's been able to allow me to be able to look at it a different way and start building up a nice residual passive income from that side. So that's where my journey set it down. Nice. <laughs> a short, long story, short. No, it, it's it's beautiful, and and obviously, still have investment risks, but you don't have the daily slog of being responsible for uh, all and the being involved as well. Being involved is the one that takes a toll because the the risk is is that you're gonna have to wait for something to be sold. You're gonna have to actually be involved in doing the actual development of the work. Whereas these, I'm hands off. I'm just basically putting the money in, and the risk is on the developers. Nice. And and how many of these partnerships have come because of the relationships you built through the podcast? Oh, a lot. <laughs> I don't know if I can count them on my fingers, but yes, we've, we've done easily in the last 12 months over $10 million worth of these type of deals. So a lot of these partnerships that we've formed have been absolutely fantastic. And the relationships I've built with all the developers and the investors have been phenomenal. And you know, a lot of people just um, come in because they just see the value and the security behind it. The way we structure these deals just make it such a win-win situation. And I think because of the community, they continue to thrive because of these type of deals as well. Now, what are the things that you're doing to maintain these connections with, with your guests, with, with the people that are in your audience that are connecting with you? Um, what, what ways are you, are you um, adding value to those relationships? Yeah, so one of the other part on top of our vision is not only do we share inspirational stories and motivational stories, we also help provide amazing opportunities, what we call property investment opportunities to our investors as well. And that's 
one of the key components. So for our business to work well, it's because you know, I guess the podcast is what we call our sort of our marketing channel and we bring guests on to be able to share their stories. Uh, and by doing that method, I guess, is that it allows us to be able to build a nice, strong relationship and engagement with the audience because ultimately, before they even meet us, they want to be able to hear who we are and get to know our value, get to know our brand and so forth. And by the time they actually reach out to speak to us because they get to speak to me directly, they already know who I am and know my my sort of story behind all this and hence the reason why these podcasts are so so important for us. Um, when they do come through to us, the relationships are already been sort of pre-built, you can kind of say, because if it, if they came out cold and just reached out to us, it took me probably a few months to get to know the people. But when they actually hear me on the podcast, speak to all these other guests and have those relationships, they already feel a connection there. And I think that's that's the value that podcasts bring is that we're genuinely out there to try and help people. We want to be able to share amazing stories. We want to be able to help others to be able to invest into other deals. So when they do reach out to us, um, the relationship is already sort of been, you can say, pre-built in that sense because you have the comfort knowing that, okay, there's already existing people with great case studies, great um, stories that they've already succeeded in doing this. And when they come to us, it's just a matter of getting to really know them personally, get to know their family, get to know you know what they currently do, what some of the pain points that we can help them with, and then you know guide them through the journey to be able to invest into these type of opportunities, and then from there build even long-term value relationships and give back to them. So yeah, that's that's how we've been doing it. And I think, as I said, the podcast has been the key integral part of our relationship building process and keeping everyone um, ongoing as well. Uh, the other things we do is, yeah, we keep in contact with all our partners. It's it's something we do on a daily basis. You know, it's not like you know, high and buy kind of thing. Once they've done a deal with us, we would love to continue to build longer term relationships, to build more deals, and do more work together. So that's really all what it is all about, and just keeping contact with people. I think that's the key. And ultimately, as you, as you've probably seen with COVID, um, we've all been in lockdown in the past couple of years you know working from home a lot of us it's been harder and harder to sort of just have that one-on-one face-to-face connection when you're actually in person because we've obviously been having this pandemic but we have connected with so many more people because technology has been able to bring us together much faster much quicker especially for video conferencing like this you know i'm talking to you right now from the other side of the world and you know that relationship can be built much faster because you don't have to fly and wait 24 hours to meet someone as you can see <laughs> yeah so it, it's had its pros and cons well i took an even longer route to get to australia so i went there on a <laughs> ship that only went 20 miles an hour so <laughs> <laughs> oh it, i feel for you <laughs> it was it was four days from sydney to to hawaii and then two more days from hawaii to the u.s <laughs> well at least you took the scenic route <laughs> Yeah, blue. You see a lot of blue. blue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Add Value to Life Coaching and their Inner Circle Team Coaching. With a new team forming in January, limited seats are available. Apply during the month of December to be a part of this group coaching program. Add value, the number two, life.com. That, that's so powerful. Obviously, the podcast has really become a hub for for meeting new people for creating opportunities for for mm. creating creating pretty large deals um are there are there other ways that you're monetizing the podcast using the podcast to to grow your business yeah so um i guess a lot of people probably have thought okay it, it podcasts in terms of monetization hasn't been talked too much in in detail about other ways to monetize. So the, the usual way to go down and monetize a podcast is usually through sponsorship. I mean, that's that's a pretty common way. Most people know that, okay, you get a sponsor on board or you can you know, outsource it to other companies who are actually filling the gaps with you know, mid-roll, intros, outro kind of ads and so forth. And that that's pretty much typical. But the actual revenue that you generate from this isn't very much. It's, it's you know, you got to generate a lot of downloads or generate a lot of traffic to be able to get that kind of monetization to be sustainable and hence the reason why a lot of people try firstly just to get that traffic level up or that download listenership up first before they monetize it i've actually gone down a different path and i i have to say though when i first started i had already intentions to monetize it using sponsorship as well so i made sure that the whole episode was structured with the mid-roll 
intro and outro to be able to insert ads. So from day one, I, I always had that, but it wasn't to insert the ads as such for other people. It's actually to insert, say, messages to promote to the audience what we do. So a lot of times I say, you know, download a free resource on our website, come and check this out. So that way I can build up my email list, which is one way that we've monetized it and then build those relationships in the back end. That, that's one way that we did it initially. Over time, as I mentioned, as the podcast grew to over 70,000 downloads per month, we started to actually get people from the actual sponsors that we've been working with. So the hosting company that manages our podcast at the moment is Acast and they have been presenting us with a ton of opportunities that are very, very large corporate brands have come onto our podcast. Um, like People like large banks like Citibank, Commonwealth Bank, HSBC, they've all come into the podcast. Then we've got like domain.com.au, realestate.com.au. All of those large, well-known Australian brands in the property space have all come on to advertise onto our podcast. And the reason behind that is because one, we're kind of the only really big property podcast on the hosting platform. And two, um, because there is a huge demand, you know, actually I'm running a, a, an ad for Airbnb actually for the next, um, yeah, next few months as well. So that's been a, a, an amazing opportunity that has come through. And those opportunities just keep coming through because of the sponsorships that we have in the past and present right now with Acast. So that's one way that we continue to monetize currently. But as I was mentioning, the reason why I added those, I guess, opportunities to be able to put those um, advertisement sections in there was because I wanted to build up a relationship with the database so they can know what deals we do. So the other way we, we monetize is through the investment deals that we offer to all our um, investors that come on board. They don't have to pay us a fee or anything like that. When we work and put a deal together, we get paid through the developer and that's how we generate our say commissions or referral fee or whatever you want to call it. We also refer to say buyers agents and also other mortgage brokers and through that network, once again, the investors don't have to pay a fee to access those services. We get a referral fee if they sign up. So yeah, it's pretty much the same as what we can say affiliate marketing. You know, If you want to look at that stream, that is our additional income that we do. And in my opinion, that's probably the most highly, I guess, monetized way because it's a back-end way and it's more of the long-term strategy Whereas advertising comes in and out every month, great. You know, we get income, but that's like the cream on top for us and that's not our heavy focus strategy. So for me, it's, and, and for the podcast and for property investry, the main way that we actually generate our income and monetize the podcast is through all our backend channels, which is through affiliate marketing, partner relationships, referrals, um, yeah, building and doing deals in the back, you know, those kind of things that really, really do help generate the revenue for our business. Well, obviously, the deals generate significantly more revenue than, you know, $20 per thousand downloads. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's the reason why it's it's so important to build a database, so important to build an email list. And for anyone starting out who wants to, you know, go down the path of using a podcast, start building up your email list as soon as you can, build those relationships up, start to actually, you know, generate, I guess, referrals and friends to I guess, talk about it because that's the power of leverage and talk power of word of mouth because a lot of times the reason why the podcast was well known was because people spread the word of, through word of mouth and shared it with their family and friends and it just took off and people start talking about it in forums, people start sharing it on different social networks and then realize, oh, wow, you know, this is great. And yes, ensure that you have a great product. For us, it's a, it's a podcast but um, make sure that you do have a fantastic relationship with your audience. And that's, I think, the key to growing. So you mentioned building your email list. What what kind of tools did you use or um, freebie or, or what, what were you offering to get in exchange for somebody's email? Yeah. So I guess talking about tools-wise, I initially started off with ActiveCampaign, which I've been using for many, many years. Um, as we grew, we just needed something a little bit more uh, robust and much more simpler. Since then, I've switched over to another company called InCharge and they've offered a fantastic deal for us to be able to do that and all the automations. And now with, say, for example, SMS and mobile technology, which we've incorporated into that, we get to send out text messages via Twilo to be able to text and, and send out you know, reminders and send out new updates to all our investors and so forth. And that's been a really, really powerful technology because sometimes people get bombarded with so many emails, just don't get a chance to see it in their email list or email um, inbox, whereas after you've sent out an email, you send a text message automatically and say, hey, did you get my email? 
obviously helps a lot more to better increase that engagement. So that that's the tool side, and that's a very much holistic, simple view. Uh, but in terms of actually getting people interested, I think it's it's the case studies and the deals that we offer for people to actually check out. We've got a, like a free report that actually outlines the whole step-by-step -step strategy, how it works, why it works that way. Because a lot of people go, these deals at 20 to 30% return are just phenomenal. But I don't believe that's true. Like it sounds too much to be like a scam. <laughs> and I tell them, well, you know, read the report. Let me explain to you how it all works. And then when they actually hear about it and actually understand the simplicity behind it, they go, oh, it's actually that simple. It's essentially just cutting out the middleman, which is the banks. They usually take a large fee and we're basically directly connecting them. So therefore, instead of paying any additional fees out to the banks and structuring in the way that the banks do, um, the investor is actually getting the return. You know, it's basically that's how we do it. And on top of that, you know, the deals that we go into even though the few million dollars worth of investments and developments that we work on, the actual cost of what the developer pays out in terms of the interest rate is only a fraction of the overall cost. So that's why people don't realize if you actually look at the details behind it, yes, you know, the developers paying it sounds like it's paying a higher, you know, interest rate to be able to get the money that they need. But when you actually look at the overall scheme of things, it's actually a small percentage of it because they're making a huge profit. So it's a win-win for the developer because they get the money that they need to be able to continue the development and finish off the project. And it's a win-win also too for our investors because they getting a higher return compared to having money sitting in the bank. So I think that's that's where really how we've been able to attract a lot of great investors is because one, they, they're interested in learning a little bit more. So that's what the report helps them to sort of explain that whole part. But also too, when they read the case studies, they just go, oh, okay, this is fantastic because it's a real case study of a person that's explaining you know, what they've done, how they've invested, what kind of return they get. Curiosity sparks them and they just reach out and ask. And um, I'm the same. Whenever I see someone achieve a great success, I want to actually reach out to them and ask them how they do it. So it's it's that same effect. You know, and that's how we've been able to build up a, a great database as well. No irony in that banks are advertising on your podcast and you're cutting them out of the deals. I'm just going to say. <laughs> that is very ironic, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, obviously your family is a big, a big motivation for you, a big, a big driver for you. We, tell, me, tell me a bit about your family and their influence on, on the work that you're doing or, or the, the, the drive for you to, to, to where you want to be for the sake of yep. your family. Yeah, I, I've always said to my wife, you know, my wife is, is such a great supporter of everything that I've done and thank God for her, you know, I wouldn't be in the position where I am right now. And I think for for me, I've always wanted to do more traveling with them. You know, when my wife and I, before we had kids, we went around traveling all throughout Southeast Asia for three months after our, um, yeah, after we got married. And that was a wonderful experience because we actually got to just travel three months without having to worry about work we had some passive income come in so we could actually enjoy and stay in a few places that we wanted to travel and get to experience what life was really in different parts of the country were and, and different parts of the world as well and see the cultures learn a little bit more about other things that we never experienced because once you kind of get started in say work and living in a day-to-day -day thing especially in australia people sort of you know run the grind and uh, just get stuck in their work you kind of forget wow there's a, another world outside of our working life there's another world all across on the other side of the planet that people don't get to experience so seeing that gave me an insight and Obviously, due to the pandemic, it's been a bit challenging and my kids are still very young and, and that's the thing. They're only like five and seven. So they're still at preschool and also school age at this point in time. But ideally, once we sort of, I guess, find ways to be able to travel again freely like we used to be able to be pre-COVID or pre-the pandemic, then I'd love to be able to spend more time traveling with my family and, and I guess sharing those experiences with my young little kids and hopefully they can also learn from those experiences as well too. But yeah, definitely family has been one of the main drivers to be able to sustain and support a lifestyle that we currently have as well too. And also too, to be able to provide a great future for my kids as well. You know, my, my son's very, very bright. He's always challenging me with so many different things and loves to do lots of activities with me. So I spend a lot of time with him on the weekend and helping him, you know, come up with great ideas and, and playing all these things. Um, same thing as my daughter, you know, she's, she's all very active, I guess you can say. So, you know, my kids really keep me going. Hence the reason why I need to stay fit for them because I can't chase after them if I'm not fit enough. 
so yeah it's it's a lot of it is about i think just finding ways to be able to help and support and give my kids and, and our lives you know the, the best future i can give for them because ultimately they are going to be our future generations passing on this great i guess future for us and helping us you know and, and i guess the other thing i want to also mention as well is i'm very much of a person who also wants to help contribute to improve and fix up i guess some of the challenges that we face across globally in terms of the um, climate change and also environmentally so i'm trying to teach my kids sustainable renewable ways to be able to generate energy as well and one of the things i've been you know looking into as potentially another side project when i jump into is looking at you know creating a renewable resource like hydrogen for example that can power cars power energy power homes etc and look at green technology in the future to be able to help us do that so i want to pass that on to my kids and, and start you know, my son, my, my son is very much into science. So he's starting to learn all about that as well right now. And that's something we're both passionate about. Yeah. So that's kind of where we are at this point in time in, in our family life and what we do. Nice. So what was your most memorable date? <laughs> my wife, and she always tells this story and same as me, I guess you can say is when I first met her, it was actually at Salsa. A lot of people ask, how did you first meet? <laughs> and we first met you know dancing salsa um i guess it was something we did many years ago we haven't been able to since we've had kids it's been quite challenging to be able to go there but i i think for me the memorable date was actually going you know meeting my wife and the first dance that we had was salsa so that was fun <laughs> man salsa is tough at least for this old white guy my wife and i were were we're ballroom dancing before COVID and uh, oh, that's awesome. And so I definitely understand the, the fun of it, the obviously fitness of it. Um, but uh, the, my feet are, are not as, just not quite as, as, as ample as they were when, when I was younger. <laughs> so, I, mean, I, I, I know what it feels like now after having kids. So <laughs> I don't know. I've been scratching my head going, what was that next step? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why the dance instructor keeps saying right, right, and I keep going left, left. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> uh, wow. So, what um, you mentioned contribution. Obviously, you know your concern for our planet, which is which is fantastic. Concern for um, other people and and growing growing others. What uh, what other ways has contribution been been a part of your journey? Well. Through what we've been doing in terms of actually putting the, the deals together through all the property developments that we've come together, um, we've tried to do some partnerships and we're still in the progress of that is you know through environmental sustainable partnerships. So as an example, one of the developers that we've worked with, they actually help to produce or create, I guess, sites that are sustainable, environmentally sustainable because you know there's, there's so much... I guess you can say carbon that's generated from development, you know, building a whole new house, building a whole development site, you will produce a lot of waste, unfortunately. And a lot of the materials that we use at this point in time require some form of burning of, of you know, a, a type of, uh, I guess, material to be able to create that plastics as an example or brick or any of that. And every time you actually produce or manufacturing one of those type of components, it will emit carbon some shape or form because it's a transformational process. Um, a lot of times now, what we're looking at is using renewable resources or renewable, um, let's say, renewable materials rather than actually produce new materials. You actually get materials from the planet or the environment that have already been used before and just reuse it and recycle it. Uh, biofuel, as an example, was one of the projects that they actually set up as a sustainable factory to produce that. And rather than actually you know, create brand new fuel out of, say, carbon, which we currently do at the moment, and obviously a lot of the fuel that we have in the planet, they've extracted the um, waste product from another, I guess, product that they've created and turned that into fuel. That's one way to do it. Um, trying to get a lot of the developers to install solar panels to be able to create additional energy that we can actually use to produce, say, green hydrogen. That's another way we've looked at it. So, yeah, that's some, I think, some of the ways that we've been able to contribute in some shape or form through the partnerships that we have. Um, in terms of giving back, I think ideally what I would like to probably see is to be able to create some kind of movement or some form of strong community in the, in the future where we, 
I guess, encourage more more use of green technology and and making changes to maybe just the way we consume things. You know, food as an example, we, and I think I'll, I'll probably be upfront. This is quite controversial. You know, there are people who love their meat, and once again, I, I used to love my meat as well, and I switched over to plant based diet about one and a half years ago and I, I'm really glad that I did because it's actually been better one for my health but also been better for the environment because I've noticed that I've been reducing the amount of um, intake in the past of now I don't even take any meat at all but you know you reduce that and I think the thing is I don't think people realize is that the amount of say waste or methane or carbon that an animal produces can actually impact over that and because of our agricultural sector where it produces so much of it it does actually excrete so much waste in there so if we can encourage a lot more people to switch over and you know potentially just even reduce the amount of intake of say meat that they take and go over more to a plant-based diet i think it'll really really have a great contribution to not only to society but to the planet but also to people's health as well too because us as humans we're not really designed to be eating meat all the time so that's i think one way you know i, I like to be able to see you know big big movement and changes and i think there's been a lot of that that's been happening and you'll start to see more and more of it as we push because if we don't make change now, if we don't make it by 20 to 30, there's going to be some really extreme possible consequences on the planet because we are already at those extremities already sitting where we are right now. And especially the stats that people release. I can give you an example, Great Barrier Reef. Back then, say 20 years ago, our reefs, and especially the coral there, were beautiful, bright colors that were just vibrant and live. Apparently, you know, at least... 60 or 70% of it is all died now, you know. So if I was to go back up to the Great Barrier to have a look, most of it has already been bleached, unfortunately. And yeah, the, the water has already been infected so much badly because of all the pollutants and chemicals that we have. So yeah, that, that's something that I, I'm really passionate about. As you can probably hear, I could talk about this for all the time. Uh, but I, I do hope that there's some way that we can actually help improve and impact the planet eventually you know, one person at a time. And um, hopefully this message can get out to people so that we can make a change. Well, it's important as a developer and a, and a team of developers to, because the difference does start right at the beginning of a project. And, and if yes. you don't do the project in, in a sustainable way, um, it'll eventually catch up and, and there won't be resources to, to continue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so important. <laughs> so, what have what have mentors or, or mentorship as a as a process meant to you? Well, I'm very fortunate because I have had hundreds and hundreds of mentors due to the podcast. <laughs> uh, every single guest that I've interviewed has been a mentor to me in the sense that they've provided some form of mindset shift, uh, leadership guidance, or just even just some of the inspiration that they've provided in what they've shared with us on the stories. That has given me some real insight into how people think because i think ultimately 90 or i'd say 80 to 90 percent of what we do is all about the mindset if you can get that right the rest is pretty easy because the how to you can find it anywhere but if you can't change that mindset to do what you want to achieve whether it be specific goals that you set and so forth then the challenge that you would face is that you'll be stuck in the same place where you are so i think having myself surrounded with so many fantastic uh guests that I've had on the podcast, experts, property investors, developers, and so forth, has one made a huge mindset shift in what I have once thought to believe was true, but you know, I've actually overcome that. And I'll give you the example of what I once thought was true was that it's so hard to actually raise money. It's so hard to be able to fund deals. And that's what was a massive roadblock for me for many, many years because I was thinking to myself, you know, if I go and get a deal, who's going to fund it? And and now it's been completely opposite for me. It's like, I've got too much money. Where am I finding the deals? <laughs> and it's seriously, that is the hardest part now. People say, oh, it's always hard to find friends, family to fund money, like find money to be able to fund the deal or invest into stuff that you want to do. But it's actually the opposite because my mindset has shifted so much that I'm struggling to really find deals. And that's, that's the true thing is that we get people throwing money at us all the time. But it's the question is now, how do we actually find the deal that we can actually make it one profitable for the investor, but also two that is a great deal that is secure and will return great value for us? And that's what we do because we look at you know hundreds of deals each month. But the question is, is which deal is going to be the right deal for us that's going to make it work? Because you can flick across the deal, but if it's not right, we don't want to take it. So yeah, that's been a huge mindset shift. 
In terms of other mentors, I do also have a property coach and also a mindset coach who do, does help me um, on a pretty much regular basis. So I, I keep in contact with her and she's been also someone who's helped me um, overcome a lot of the mind blocks and a lot of the financial challenges that I've had in the past as well. One other thing I do have also been recommended to check out, which I, I got to find the time after this um, pandemic thing because during the pandemic, we couldn't go into these live workshops and live environments to do events and stuff, as you know, um, is a place called Landmark. Uh, Landmark is very well-known. It's called Landmark Forum, I should say. It's a very well-known uh, training course that helps with overcoming a lot of the mindset changes and roadblocks and all that kind of stuff and i think it's something that a lot of people i recommend probably check out and i know that it's, it is an international um, training program which is very very affordable it's just a matter of committing say at least you know two days or two days uh, to that event to be able to attend because it really really does make a huge impact to your life so yeah that that's kind of where i think the mentorships has come from i read a I read a lot of books but also listen to a lot of podcasts and the podcast that I actually listen to isn't really property podcasts at all, you know, because I, I already run a property podcast. There's not, <laughs> not really much interest for me to actually listen to another property podcast. What I listen to is more about mind shift, uh, personal development, and also business development as well too, or business interest as well. So I listen to podcasts like How I Built This, um, Hustle and Flowchart podcast with Matt and Joe. It, like, yeah, there's so many great podcasts out there on that and they give such great insights and I love those kind of podcasts and it just gives me a bit of variety and balance as well. Um, I will also add meditation. And <laughs> a few weeks ago, uh, about five weeks ago, I also um, injured a little bit of my back and uh, I was exercising pretty regularly doing sort of high-intensity type of training. But when I actually stretched my, my leg and injured my back, I couldn't do that. So I asked, you know, one of my uh, training coaches that I tapped my shoulder and he said to me, why don't you just try yoga, which I've been doing for many years, but I haven't been doing consistently. So for the last five weeks, I've just been doing yoga and it's been the best thing ever. And it's <laughs> helped me to be calmer, stiller, and also just settle that mind because I think we're living such a crazy time with so much access to information, fast pace of life. It just makes it hard to sort of just take a step back and think. And by doing yoga, and every time we, I finish a session, I always get a chance to be able to spend at least five or 10 minutes or so just to be able to just meditate and just relax the mind. And it makes such a huge difference. So yeah, I highly recommend um, if you haven't taken or tried yoga and just a bit of meditation, it's definitely something worthwhile to check out. Nice. Are there other, are there other elements of your routine that are non-negotiables that, that you practice? Exercise every day. <laughs> I make sure I fit in at least half an hour every day, uh, whether it be high intensity, yoga. Um, I still consider meditation as part of the exercise. It's training the brain, but mm, I, I so need good. some kind of physical activity. That's that's definitely a, a no um, questions asked. My diet is important, you know, eating regularly. That, that's been the biggest challenge um, for me in the past because I'm an Asian, you know, my, I've got a high metabolism. So, you know, I, I, I guess it's it's sort of a benefit in some sense, but I also do... Um, burn a lot so therefore I need to upkeep my energy levels in order to be do that so therefore I've got to have a consistent diet and eating um, spending my time with my kids you know every evening I make sure I, just before bed I read to them that, that's definitely a no questions a must have in my life and yeah just putting some time aside to be able to enjoy the best things in life which is to spend time with family mm, so good so what in, what inspires you Tyrone Wow. Um, I think what keeps me driving is to give back. Uh, and it really means the same thing as what your brand is advocating to life is to give back. And, and the reason why the podcast was something that I wanted to do was I knew that it wasn't just going to be for my own selfish reasons, as I mentioned up front, but it was also going to be able to give back to people. And ultimately, I've learned a lot from accessing so many guests but also through the podcast and because i know that there's a lot of opportunity to be able to help others i wanted to do the same thing as well and i think the way i see it is because of the podcast i've been able to help give back and inspire so many people and that's what continues to drive me because i'm really, really passionate about that but also to be able to help all the investors that i've been continuously working within all these deals and stuff that keeps me motivated and driving and i'm the type of person who once I start something, I don't just like to leave it and, and let it just go. I like to be involved 
like to help, like to help it grow, ensure that, you know, it's doing what it needs to do and, and to be able to help, you know, my team, I guess, at the end of the day, because I have a team that helps me do all this as well and to give back to them because I want to see their families grow. I want to see other people grow as well. So I think for me, it's all about just giving back to the community, giving back to all the people who have been able to contribute so much. And, you know, just thinking about it, all of the people have come to the podcast, they've spent an hour to an hour and a half sharing their story on the podcast and they've given up their time just to be able to do that and impact so many people. So I'm just so grateful for their contributions as well. And I think that by me sharing this message across the world is being able to help contribute towards others, people to succeed as well too. Hmm. So good. All right. So what's the big dream? <laughs> I, I guess I want to see my, my kids um, continue to live in a, in a really beautiful planet that we have been able to grow up in and you know the more that we can switch people to green technology or green energy the better it will be for our kids future generation i know with elon musk for example and i follow elon with all his um amazing things you know we've got spacex tesla you know solar panel etc all that kind of stuff he's one of his dreams as he said is he wants to be able to go to mars and live on mars and yeah it'll be great to see us colonize on mars but I think what would be most important for us is to fix our own planet first before traveling to other planets. And if something does happen on Earth, yeah, then obviously plan B would be to go to Mars. But I think for me, what I would like to see is, is yeah, for our planet just to go back to its, its sort of natural state, do more natural things. Like there's so much beauty on our planet that I know personally I haven't explored and I want to see more of it that if we can just change the way we do things and look at more alternatives that is better for the environment uh, contributes to actually improving the environment and not destroying it then we can actually see the natural beauties of our, our planet and I, I i know that there are so many countries in the world that i've seen um, just through documentaries and stuff that they are living a sustainable life like if we just cut out a lot of this materialism and and just go back to simple minimalism and, and there's a lot of things that you might not even need like I, I, just, I don't live a very luxurious life i don't have too many materialistic things i'm very simple very basic but if you look at just those simple things in life you can actually feel a lot more happier because your life is so much more simpler and easier there's just too much around in my opinion at this point in time and as you know there's information everywhere <laughs> and that's what i think causes a lot of clutter stress and it causes us to sort of just want to chase for more as well too because, you know, you see that it's like keeping up with the Jones. You see so many other people want to buy this, but it's all this marketing that goes out there. So I think if we can just go back to a really simple lifestyle, I think everyone would be happier, you know, a lot stress-free. And I think what happened during COVID, the pandemic, is a classic example. We all came and started to, because we're locked down in our own homes, we spent more time with our family. So we got to build up strong relationships and bonds with our kids and family as well too. And you know, I think that's probably going to be the best thing. And, and as you know, with the pandemic closing down, our emissions dropped down quite substantially. There's less people on the roads. <laughs> as I'll say, you know, every time going to work and driving the kids to school takes a lot longer now. But I think you know, ultimately, I want to just see our planet to revive and our kids to have a, a great future for their future generations as well. Hmm. That's so good. Tyrone, just the last question. If young entrepreneurs listening and you've just had coffee together and and you're going to leave them with your words of wisdom what what would you share about building their business take action that's the first thing you know i think it's easy to learn so much it's easy to be able to read all this content and for me as i said i procrastinated for more than 12 months before i actually started you know running this business and it was all out of fear and, and when you hear about the acronym i'm going to share with you what fear is it's it's false evidence appearing real that's that's how i define fear as being and if you actually look at all the worst case scenarios and then break down the actual concerns that you have and then look at going okay what could the worst thing happen and then you overcome those by just analyzing it and then just noting it down take action on making those changes and that's what i did as i said to you i was always nervous i was always fearful to hop onto a podcast and interview all these successful uh, property investors but if i didn't actually just do it I would have just been left in the same position and four or five years later, I'd be still doing nothing. So I think it's just taking those action steps and just take baby steps you know, along the way. You don't have to do everything. You just have to have a vision that this is where you want to, what you want to go. Start small and think big. 
That's all I can say. Nice. Tyrone, thank you so much for sharing today. I appreciate your wisdom and your passion and, and certainly the your desire for, for a sustainable planet. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Robert, for having me on the podcast today. Really, really great chat and loved everything that we chatted about. And hopefully I delivered some great value for your audience as well too. Absolutely. If you enjoy the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvalue2entrepreneurs.com. Our Cyber December deals include one-hour coaching slots for only $97. That's a 75% savings. And we're launching new Inner Circle Team Coaching in 2022. Applications are open in December at addvalue2life.com. In our next episode, Drew Casaccio talks about the importance of knowing your values, what is important to you, how that drives your decisions. We also talk about personal development and the importance of constantly getting better.